0: What's going on, Katie?
1: Hey, Jesse. Happy Pride. Happy Pride. Thank you. I appreciate you acknowledging that it's my month. Uh, speaking of which, you know every business is obligated to send out their their Pride greeting. You know, it's it's a law now.
0: The Al Qaeda one surprised me.
1: <laughs> yeah, Raytheon too. That one surprised me. Uh, so I got one of these emails from a local bookstore here in Western Washington the other day. And I didn't read the email, uh, but the the subject line was, that's so gay. And I knew immediately it was going to be some pride thing. Whatever. I don't read their emails. It didn't bother me. I didn't think about it. But a couple hours later, I got another email from the same business. And the subject line was, I'm so sorry if I offended you.
0: (laughs) Oh my God. What happened? Let
1: me read you this. In an attempt to celebrate all things LGBTQ, we sent out a newsletter today with the headline, That's So Gay. And we have heard from a few wonderful customers who find this an offensive saying. As the owner, this was entirely my fault. I was trying to take a phrase that has been used so often in the pejorative and try to make it as celebratory and positive as possible. I missed the mark. And then it goes on to say that the business is an ally of the LGBT community and we will always be an ally. Deepest and most sincere apologies and wishing everyone the best Pride Month ever. And I have to say, this was actually the best thing that has happened to me this Pride Month. So thank you to Blank
0: Books. It makes sense because one thing—I'm uh, an outsider, but but I can tell one thing the queer community is not known for is like making jokes about stuff or being lighthearted, especially during Pride. So you
1: know, I think we used to be known for that, but now we're more known for taking offense to everything, any slight, any possible. slight. I mean,
0: that's the Civil War, right? It's it's Andrew Sullivan versus <laughs> what he views as the. Uh, well, while we're um while we're in contrition mode, I'd like to make an apology and a correction from last episode. Oh, please do. Hold on as fucking 8,000 fucking cars blast down Flatbush. You can leave that in. I don't care. I need people to know the fucking conditions under which we're recording. We're we're basically war correspondents.
1: Yeah, today's been kind of difficult.
0: So, this is pretty personal and pretty emotional. Um last week at the top of the show, I said that in Elden Ring, higher strength means you can carry more gear. And even at the time, I knew that was false. It's endurance. Whoa. Endurance is the statistic correlated with being able to carry more gear. I don't know what was going through my brain. I can't even think about the harm I've done to my many gaming followers and listeners. And I'm so, so sorry. This actually sparked a thread in our subreddit about how I was not to be taken seriously on matters of gaming. This was, I, it's hard for you to understand because you're a girl. Right. And girls don't ever game. Right. Um, as Gamergate taught us. But, this is like someone being like, oh, yeah, I remember in 2003 when George W. Bush invaded Iran. It's like that dumb uh, mistake. So I'm I'm so sorry. I'm pretty
1: sure we did invade Iran. It's just that nobody ever talks about it.
0: Oh, shit. I'm, it's a secret war. I'll go to the Iran Wikipedia page after this. Uh, Katie, what is the name of this increasingly error-prone podcast?
1: This is Blocked and Reported, and I'm Katie Herzog.
0: And I'm Jesse Single. And if you like media bullshit, this was an incredible week for you.
1: This was – what was the equivalent of this? This was like the D-Day of media bullshit.
0: This was like the first Bush administration for neoconservatives.
1: This was the stonewall of media bullshit.
0: <laughs> this was the pride of, okay. Uh, it, there was a lot going on. It centered on a Washington Post uh, former staffer named Felicia Somnus, spoiler alert. So we're going to talk about that. So Katie, what do you uh, what do you know about Felicia Somnus?
1: Unfortunately not much because Felicia Somna has blocked me. I don't know that I've ever had any actual direct interaction with her, but I, has she blocked you as well?
0: Yeah, she's blocked me, which is fine. Sometimes, you know, we ended up on block lists because we just our, our truths are too searing and people can um mm-hmm. can't can't handle them. So, okay. Felicia Somna is the main character. We also need to quickly introduce the other sort of main character, whose name is Dave Weigel. He's a politics reporter at the Washington Post, and he made a name for himself covering conservatives. He's a highly regarded, respected guy. Uh, he's not a stranger to He online.
1: looks like Mr. Potato Head. <laughs>
0: That's so unnecessary. <laughs> you, you, you look like a, like a so b- backup right fielder male little <laughs> kid, which is what you were.
1: I'm not offended by that.
0: It's true. <laughs> we all look like something. He um, looks like Mr. Fadit. <laughs> Why would you derail us this early? Jesus Christ. Okay. I've, I um, I think I've met him two or three times. He's a good guy. I like Weigel. I like his reporting. He's no stranger to online controversy. 12 years ago. This is, okay. What? Do you have someone else who looks like Mr. Potato Head?
1: No, I have been wanting to ask you to do a primo episode on the journal list because this was before I was online and I don't actually know what happened. And this would actually be a good time to do it.
0: Well, that happens to be the next thing in my notes.
1: <laughs> oh, I didn't read your notes.
0: As I was saying, is this, like, is this what it's going to be like at the live event? Just like no structure or meaning no to anything? 12 years ago, Dave Weigel is no stranger to online controversy. Uh... Twelve years ago, he resigned from the Washington Post, which he worked at at the time, after a series of incendiary comments against various conservatives uh, that he made on a private listserv called Journalist were made public. Were you on this listserv? I was on Journalist, yes. Uh, so I was there when this happened, and I was there when he said things like, quote, this would be a vastly better world to live in if Matt Drudge decided to handle his emotional problems more responsibly and set himself on fire. <laughs> Ouch, ouch. There was conservative outrage over that and other negative statements he made.
1: Wait, and this got leaked, or was that something that he published?
0: I think it was leaked. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> He Well, he published that on the listserv, but there's, there were, I think, hundreds of people on the listserv. I think it was the Daily Caller that leaked it, Tucker Carlson, pretty gleefully, um, you know, to hurt the libs, which it did. So there was a lot of conservative outrage and questions about his, his ability to cover the right sort of objectively, and he resigned from the post. This was seen as a big get for the right. Um he went to Slate, sort of on the same beat, and then he actually went back to the Washington Post, which proves there are sometimes second chances in life. No such thing as cancel culture. No such thing as cancel culture. That's Dave Weigel. He set off this whole chain of events, this whole maelstrom we watched unfold on Twitter this week, which we'll get back to, but he's actually like a much smaller figure and a less, how to put this, he doesn't really, he's a smaller character in terms of like characters in a novel than Felicia Somnez. Somnes, as of a few days ago, was was also a staff reporter at The Washington Post. Uh, I think it was a national desk. Things were already rocky because in July of last year, she'd sued both the newspaper itself and six of its editors, including then editor-in-chief Marty Baron, for discrimination on the basis of her status as a woman and as a victim of sexual assault. She also sued them for the infliction of emotional distress and and retaliation. Uh, It was a very strained working relationship. Which you and I are familiar with, because there's dozens of lawsuits ping ponging back between the two of us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the chain of events that led to her suing her own employer go back to China in 2017. This is where we bring in another character. John. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds made up, right? To really understand where this starts, you have to go to the surface of Mars in 1384, where Jesus Christ himself and the listener journalist was lodged there. Okay. China China in 2017, this is where we bring in Jonathan Kaiman, who is then the Beijing bureau chief for the LA Times living in Beijing. That's also where Felicia Somnez lived. No one disputes that in late 2017, uh, they had a very drunken hookup. In January 2018, a woman named Laura Tucker, who's a former friend of Kyman's, said that five years prior to that, in 2013, Laura Tucker and Jonathan Kaiman had had sex but she now viewed his behavior as coercive and manipulative. Here's how Emily Yaffe describes things in a long article she wrote for Reason that is quite sympathetic to Kaiman. We'll get to some of the controversies about Yaffe's uh, article. I'm not going to gloss over those. Here's what she wrote. Tucker wrote that while making out in bed with Kaiman, she had a change of heart. So she stood up and said she didn't want to continue. She wrote, quote, he lay on the bed, not moving, watching me. I remember that he sort of smiled and seemed to pout, end quote. As they talked and she repeated that she didn't want to have sex, she wrote, quote, he began to whine, end quote, which made her feel, quote, like it was too late to back out, end quote. In Kaiman's telling, he was startled by Tucker's sudden U-turn and tried verbally to reestablish their previous playful mood. While they talked, he stayed where he was. He didn't want to make any physical move toward her. He says that after a brief conversation, he concluded the night was coming to an end and that he should leave, so he sat up with the intention of getting dressed. She described what happened next, quote, I am still so upset that I concluded the easiest, least confrontational way forward was to place male satisfaction above my own desires and to go back to bed, end quote. The sex made her feel gross, she wrote, and Kaiman left immediately afterward. His cr- recollection is that she was a full participant and that he stayed the night. When he went to kiss her goodbye the next morning, he says, he was surprised that she seemed distant and upset. So five years later, she's publicly... Wait,
1: st- this seems like... So they... Have, they She says that he left immediately and he says they, that he stayed the night?
0: No, no, no. They both agree he stayed the night. He said he okay. was getting up to leave, but that okay. at that time, she was like, okay, just I'm going to get this over with or whatever. Okay. So they they have sex that um, I think at the time was viewed as consensual by both of them. Five years later, she does a Medium post stating that she was coerced. And this Uh, was – what year was this? This was in 2018. Okay. Um, So
1: in the five years, Me Too has started.
0: Yes. Now, it doesn't – well, I'm I'm curious what you think about this. I think that it doesn't really look like she viewed this as at all problematic at the time. Here's what Yaffe writes. Quote, he has electronic exchanges from her in the months following their encounter in which she sends him friendly notes and initiates get-togethers, including a suggestion that they meet over drinks, end quote. So, Katie, I feel like this is a good point to pause and discuss because a lot of the gray area Me Too stories surround this. In your view, if someone makes this sort of retrospective accusation where they're saying this thing that happened to me a while ago that I didn't just like view as abusive at the time, I now view as abusive – but there's evidence that after the event, they continue to feel warmly toward the person and try to hang out with them. Is it fair to use that as evidence like against their claim or discounting their claim?
1: This is, to borrow your phrase, complicated. Um, that's my phrase. Yeah, that's your Trademark phrase. Trademark Shit, do I, have to, do I have to pay for that? Um, so this is something that happened, I think, pretty frequently after Me Too, when people, women especially, would revisit some event possibly because something had come out about a person that they had slept with or hooked up with at some point and reframe it and come to the conclusion that it was assault. And I can completely see how that would happen. You have some experience, you're looking back on it later, you hear something about the guy and you say, wait a second, that happened to hashtag me too. Maybe this was actually worse than it felt at the time or worse than I thought about it at the time. My feeling about this is that I don't think it's particularly helpful for the woman or for the victim in this case or the alleged victim to reframe their experience as traumatic if it wasn't traumatic at the moment. And I remember during Me Too listening to an interview with a comic, um queer comic, what's her name? Um, Cameron, uh, Cameron Esposito. And she was saying, she was talking about realizing that she had been raped well after the time. Like years later, she was like, oh shit, I was raped. And this became traumatic to her. And so my feeling about it, not to pass judgment, is just that I don't think that it's necessarily helpful for the woman. Am I dodging the question enough?
0: I think you're dodging a little. So the one thing is like, okay, what would it the world's best therapist t- say to someone in this situation? And and maybe one thing they would say is do you think there's a possibility that that it was a misunderstanding and that there was no intention of harm and you were both, you know, drunk or you misread each other each other's signals? Like, I think jumping to the in a genuinely ambiguous situation where at the time you thought it was consensual uh or consensual-ish, jumping to the conclusion that you were wronged, right? Like, in this case, there's clearly clearly his claim, whether you believe right. it or not, is that he wasn't pouting and trying to manipulate her into sex. He was trying to interpret her sudden mood swing. Oh,
1: fuck me. <laughs> oh, God, that's the most
0: disturbing thing I've ever heard you say. There <laughs> 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 fuck me. It's like Gollum. <laughs> me too, Gollum. <laughs> Jesus Christ. No,
1: no, I mean, you're right about this. Malcolm Gladwell has a whole book about this, about how people are really poor, really bad at judging other people's intent expressions,
0: yeah, this is very—it's like well known. Like, it's totally not, we're not well good known. at reading other people,
1: right? And this is something I think that is possibly more frequent between women and men, but this absolutely happens between two women. I've had plenty of experiences that are that that, that are analogous to this, where there was no man involved.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, I, I, I'm always the victim. Let's just let's just put it. Let's just make that clear.
0: You're definitely always a victim. I I and then you know so. And the other question is just, like, what what strength of evidence should we require if we're going to drag someone over the coals publicly and, and make accusations that could could ruin their life? But, okay, let's get back to Somnus. After Felicia Somnus sees this post, she reaches out to Kaiman saying she's now re- reconsidering one of her own drunken hookups she had uh, with him the previous September. I keep saying drunken. I'm not sure there was alcohol involved in the pouty sex Um That's not a key thing. The key thing there is just whether he pouted, whether he manipulated her. So Somnes writes to Kaiman, quote, It has taken me a while to fully process what happened that night. I remember thinking your behavior was aggressive at the time. It's taken me a while to realize that actually that kind of forcefulness totally crosses the line into inappropriate behavior. So this is where the story sort of diverges in some ways into he said, she said. Uh, No one disputes there was drinking involved and they were making out. And Somnes gave him a scooter ride back to his place and went upstairs with him. The main area of disagreement is, like, what sort of fooling around they were doing outside. Um, here's what Somnes said. And I'm reading at length from Yafi's story because I think the specifics are, deep, like, important here. And I just want want them to be straight in everyone's mind. Quote, Somnes, who is about four years older than Kaiman, wrote that they both got off. Oh, so she had the power. <laughs> Wrote that they both got off the scooter when she had to stop to get past a barrier, at which point, quote, John lifted up my dress and began digitally penetrating me without my consent, end quote. She said she had to forcefully push him away, at which point he, quote, began unbuckling his belt and pulling down his shorts. We were on a public street. It was dark and no one was around. John is much bigger than me, and it took me repeatedly telling him no and pushing him away for him to finally stop, end quote. She continued, quote, it gives me chills to think of that moment and imagine what he would have done if I hadn't been able to get him to stop, end quote. Kaiman disputes this account. Here's what Yaffe writes, and I promise you soon I won't be reading these long blocks of text, but it's just important to get the specific sound. Here's what Yaffe writes about Kaiman disputing this account. Quote, Kaiman says that when Somnus stopped her scooter, they began kissing. He reached under her dress, and she started unbuttoning his pants. Then Sobnez expressed discomfort at engaging in sexual acts in public, so Kaiman stopped immediately and offered to walk the rest of the short way home. Kaiman says Sobnez insisted on driving him. This is on the scooter. She doesn't explain why she let him back on the, her scooter, but she acknowledges she drove to his apartment. He says when they got there and got off the scooter, they kissed while standing outside the building and again fondled each other's genitals. But he was feeling guilty about cheating. <laughs> oh my God. I'm so lucky I got to read that. But he w- <laughs> no one
1: ever have sex with a journalist, just as a rule. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but he was feeling guilty about cheating on his girlfriend and said that when what they were doing was not a good idea. Okay, so they're off the scooter, um, fondling each other's genitals. Yeah. Then they get back on the scooter. Then they're outside his place. O- one more excerpt here that'll get us to sort of the main point of disagreement. Um, her version is that they they're now outside his building. And he sort of resumes his assault. Quote, before I knew it, John had backed me against a wall around the corner from his front door. We were kissing, and then he again began unbuckling his belt and taking off his shorts. Again, I told him, no, I didn't want to do that. Somnez, Kyman says, wanted to walk him to his apartment six floors up. She had been to his place previously, so she knew how far it was. He says that because of the hour, it was about 2 a.m. Six floors? Six-floor <laughs> walk-up in Beijing. That's a human rights violation. <laughs> He says that because of the hour, it was about 2 a.m., and the alcohol, he was making poor decisions, and he agreed, agreed to let her come up with him. Sabnes wrote that, quote, many parts of the night remain hazy, hazy in my memory, end quote. In reconstructing her thought process, she said, quote, I don't remember what was going through my head as I went upstairs, whether I wanted to take a nap or get some water or maybe make out, end quote. In other words, despite what she described as a chilling escape from Kaiman only minutes earlier, she put him on the back of her scooter and took him to his door, where she claimed she was sexually violated again, then under her own power she hiked the many stairs to his apartment with the idea of possibly resuming consensual sexual content contact so in my view this is where it gets to it could be true he was over aggressive but i i think in a he said she said situation her argument is that i was sexually assaulted twice and both times i decided to continue hanging out with this person and continue fooling around with him i do i know that this is considered like victim blaming or slut shaming and obviously if you make out with someone that doesn't mean they then have a right to do whatever they want but i i don't really know how to interpret this as he was supposed to know she wanted the encounter to end or nothing more to happen because she made every decision to continue things escalating is that fair
1: I think that's fair. Assuming that the reporting is good, and I trust Emily Yaffe as a reporter, yes, that seems
0: fair. Well, but but that's the thing. that This is not stuff where it's contested. Her continuing to hang out with him and choosing to go up to his apartment, mm-hmm. that's not contested. They both agree that happened. They agree on, like, who pulled down whose pants, stuff like that.
1: Yeah, and alcohol is probably a real instrumental factor in this, the, the the ingredient that makes you lose your memory. So it's possible that everybody's memories are kind of fucked up here. But, yes, if, these, if they're agreeing on these two accounts, it doesn't make – even if she's wasted, it doesn't make any sense to say, I've just been assaulted twice. I'm going to walk 100 steps up to your apartment and make out with you.
0: Yeah, so she says they, they went to his apartment. Um, They both agree they had sex. She claims that, like, before she knew what was happening, he was having sex with her without a condom. He disputes that. He says there was a condom, which is, you know, a pretty big factual thing we will never know the answer to. She also says that, quote— Unless he keeps a collection. Mm-hmm. That would be normal. Uh, She says— <laughs> Well, you don't want the Chinese government getting hold of your DNA, I guess. Exactly. She says, quote, I am devastated by the fact that I was not more sober so that I could say with certainty whether what happened that night was rape, end quote. So there's profoundly important disagreement. She's not sure it's rape. Uh, So that had all happened, I think, months prior to the Tucker allegation about the pouting. After the Tucker allegation.
1: Wait, is she saying that the rape... That the rape was the not using the condom or that the sex itself, that after she went up the stairs with them, then he had non-consensual sex with her.
0: Her quote is, I remember he was already inside me before I had the wherewithal to ask him whether he had a condom. He said no. He continued for what I imagined was a few more minutes. I put on my clothes and unsteadily drove off soon after. Um uh, some of which Kaiman denies.
1: Okay, so she's... Including the condom. So she's saying it's the condom thing that's the rape part, not the sex itself?
0: Well, she's saying she's not sure it's rape at all. You know, she's saying, I need to know, I'm not sure...
1: Yeah, it doesn't sound like it's rape.
0: And in her, in Kaiman's argument, she asked if he had a condom, he got one, and they used it. Afterward, he says she performed oral sex on him. More details than we need, but I guess this is... (laughs) Okay. God. So... Again, there's profoundly important disagreement about what happened that is impossible to resolve with certainty. The only certainty is that in this case, not years later, but months later, she she revisited the event in her mind and, and decided that it was um, something. She's not sure it was rape, but she clearly thinks it was in that category, at least. So, And she named him publicly? Well, so after the Tucker allegation was made... Um, After the Tucker allegations made, she contacts Kaiman privately. There's a regular scheduled meeting of the Foreign Correspondents Club of China, the FCCC, which is a group Kaiman had been named the head of in 2017. During this regular scheduled meeting, they're going to figure out what to do. At this point, Kaiman knows about the Tucker thing, because that's public, and he's talked to Somnes, because she called him to be like, we need to talk about this thing that happened to us. Kaiman is scared shitless. She's going to come forward with her, in his view, new interpretation of their hookup, but that hasn't happened yet. So as Yaffe reports at this meeting, um, Ka- Kaiman is asked if he knew of other accusations against him. He said he doesn't. He doesn't know if Somnez is going to make a public allegation. Somnez sent a friend to this meeting, and the friend jumps in and calls him a liar, and is like, "There is another allegation. I just can't. I just can't say anything about it." So I- I- I'm generally unclear from Kaiman's point of view. He, don't, he doesn't know if Somnus is going to come forward. Is he supposed to say, yes, there's another allegation, but I don't know if they want to I, – I, I don't know what he was supposed to have done there. But the main, The craziest thing about this meeting is that later in the story, drawing off the minutes from it, Yaffe captures this, this event. Quote – A female reporter announced she wanted to be included as one of Kyman's victims. She explained that she'd had a sexual encounter with Kyman several years earlier. At the time, she did not see the encounter as an assault, but she had reconsidered after reading Sobbins' account, and now claimed that she'd had too much to drink to give proper consent. So, as they're discussing what to do about this one allegation in the meeting, on the spot, a female reporter's like, I had sex with him too. I now realize I was too drunk to give my consent.
1: Yeah. I mean, the thing about alcohol, it's such a common ingredient in situations like this. And what I've never really understood is why, let's say two people are equally drunk. If, if, If somebody's sober and somebody's wasted, it's a different situation. But normally when you're drinking, you're drinking with other people. If two people, let's say they were both drunk when they had sex, why isn't she the one who assaulted him?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think some of it just comes down to sort of traditional um, gender norms, and usually the man can overpower the woman. Although, why would that apply in a situation where they're not alleging physical force? Yeah. Um, Right. So, all this stuff was enough for the board of the FCC to force Kyman to resign as president. His letter included a mention of, quote, an allegation of sexual misconduct, end quote. So he's already been publicly forced to resign and and you know gone through the somewhat hum- humiliating thing of saying, I've been accused of sexual misconduct. Felicia Somnes was not mollified because as she would later say publicly, he should have said allegations, not allegation, in his letter. She was also mad the board itself didn't make a statement about him being accused of sexual misconduct. It was just his resignation letter. They didn't put a statement out. Um, so Somna subsequently wrote her own letter accusing Kaiman of violating her and asked for it to be circulated to the whole, you know, foreign correspondence organization.
1: Wait, so she writes a letter and then she wants it to be – what?
0: She wants it – She's she's doesn't think that his resigning – and, and noting that he'd been accused of sexual uh, uh, sexual misconduct once in his letter was enough. She's mad the state the organization didn't put out a statement. I don't know how they could have without doing like a full-blown investigation. I guess that gets complicated. But she ends up – yeah, she ends up writing her own letter and wants it circulated among the community of foreign correspondents in China so that they know that she too is accusing him.
1: These people are drama queens or this person is a drama queen.
0: Um – yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Um <laughs> <this point.
1: laughs> Yeah, so, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see if that if you'll <laughs> we'll see if that allegation stands up through the rest of this show.
0: <laughs> if I included as I was saying, if I included every twist and turn here, we'd never get to like the more recent events. But the long story short is is Kyman's <laughs> life was ruined. He, you know, he resigned from the FCCC. He lost his job at the LA Times as the the bureau chief. He was like 32 with like a very bright future in journalism ahead of him. He had to move back home. And at the time of Yaffe's 2019 story, he was bouncing back and forth between his parents' house and his girlfriend's parents' house. His girlfriend stayed with him, um, which I can't even imagine that. Uh, I don't want to hide the fact that Somnus strongly disputed some aspects of Kaiman's uh, story and of Emily Yaffe's treatment of it. We'll will include all the sh- uh, links you need in the show notes. Also, Anna Merlin wrote a long piece for Jezebel attacking Yafi's version of events, claiming that Yafi misconstrued a bunch of stuff and that Kaiman was known as a bad and skeezy dude among foreign correspondents. I'm I'm less sympathetic to Merlin than I am to Yafi. Um, Why would that be? You know, no reporter. <laughs> I I just don't. You know, she's. I we can't hold this against her forever, but her she's most infamous for like loudly mocking Robbie Suave for his his views on the University of Virginia uh, rape case. And in my view, she's never really retreated from that attitude that anyone who disagrees with her on these issues is like a, a moron and a monster. And I, I just, there, there, I haven't really sensed much, much reflection from her since the biggest journalistic fuck-up imaginable. Is that fair to say?
1: Uh, yeah, so to be specific, and we've mentioned this on the show before because it's hilarious, she wrote a piece basically calling Robbie Suave an idiot because he questioned the UVA rape story, which totally fell apart. It was completely bullshit. And she's one of these reporters who, there's a lot of them in places like Jezebel. There's a lot of them in mainstream media as well, who, when it comes to allegations of sexual assault, don't seem to apply any bit of the basic repertorial skepticism. She believes women. She hashtag believes women.
0: Yeah. And I um, look, I should say y- Yafi has an agenda too. I like Yafi. She thinks Me Too has gone too far. And there were elements of her reporting I disagreed with. For example, um, she mentions that one of the, one of the I guess, administrators investigating Kaiman at the Times and, and the investigation that led to him to resign had, I think, a mug or a sticker that said the future is female. I don't think that disqualifies someone from like, inve- I don't know. Do you think that that's that big a deal? It, it, it felt like, a, I'm not sure it helped her cause to point that out.
1: I think it's a dumb mug.
0: <laughs> if, if having dumb mugs is a crime, then lock me up. Um. So, so I just want to give one example of like why I'm skeptical of Merlin. I know this is like long, but I, I think it's important. I don't want to just like drive by criticize her because I guess she's respected by some people. And I'm also basing some of my criticisms of her on what a dick I've seen her be on Twitter, which we're all dicks on Twitter. So who knows? Anyway, um, she writes in her Jezebel piece. Somnez's allegation is what apparently triggered the Los Angeles Times to begin investigating Kyman's alleged misconduct. Somnez tells Jezebel she's aware of five people who made firsthand allegations of sexual misconduct or inappropriate sexual behavior at Kyman's hands during that investigation, and three people who spoke to the investigator to share concerns about alleged behavior they had witnessed by Kaiman or allegations that had been shared with them by others. This is very journalistically fuzzy. Like, when you read Yaffe's reporting, she always includes both sides' allegations about what happened. At this point, like we know that three different women, including the one who popped up at the meet, piped up at the meeting, had consensual sex with Cayman that they later decided wasn't consensual or, or at the time they didn't complain.
1: Did he, was he cheating on his girlfriend with all of these women?
0: I don't know that part. I know just with the, uh, with Somnus he was. But so for Merlin to say there were five firsthand allegations, but not provide any details about what the accusations were, or if they were all cases where it was consensual until we're got, I mean, that's, that's. She could have easily said to Somnes, like, you know, I'm not comfortable including that detail because it's pretty serious unless you can provide more um, uh, information about it. It's not – you can write a piece that's sympathetic to a source, and there's nothing wrong with that, without just letting the source run roughshod over you and use you to amplify whatever, you know, bad-mouthing they want to do of someone they don't like. Okay, that's all the background on the reporting on it. Felicia Somnes is hired by the Washington Post in June 2018. They're aware Wait,
1: you forgot one detail. What's that? Do you remember when Caitlin Flanagan called Felicia Somnes a Hellcat?
0: <laughs> forget no, I forgot. It's a very Caitlyn Flanagan thing to do. She called her a Hellcat? Yeah, she called her a Hellcat. And Somnes,
1: like I think Somnes tried to get her fired from the Atlantic.
0: Yeah. <laughs> they were yeah. She has um she likes to try to get people in trouble with their jobs on Twitter. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and she's a hellcat.
0: <laughs> no, I, I, Katie, I would never use language like that. Okay, so Felicia Somnes is hired by the Washington Post in June 2018. At the time, they're aware of her allegation against Kaiman. Uh, September 2018, she ma- after Kaiman resigned, she makes a public statement saying she stands in solidarity with another woman who accused him of assault. In response, the Post bans her from covering stories involving Me Too for two months and takes her off the Brett Kavanaugh story. What do you think about that?
1: Wait, who was the other woman who accused him of, of assault?
0: Um, this is must have been a reference to Tucker. Oh, okay. It's either Tucker it I – mean, it doesn't really matter. It's either Tucker or the one who piped up at the meeting, one of the other accusers. Yeah,
1: I mean – for the Washington Post, covering especially the Kavanaugh story, the Washington Post is not Jezebel. The Washington Post isn't Slate. For the Washington Post – I mean, obviously, there's lots more conversation about what's Wesley – What's his name's term? Moral clarity. Um, but if you have someone who is an activist on this issue, covering this beat, that seems like an optics problem.
0: And do you think that she becomes an activist when she? So I, I at first I thought that this was uncalled for from the post by the post. What what swayed me a little was realizing. She's endorsing an unproven allegation by someone else against him, which for a reporter who's not an opinion writer is is a classic no-no, according to this old school jur- uh, version of news writing.
1: Yeah. And it also shows, I think, poor judgment on her part, that she wouldn't be aware that this is going to be construed as a conflict.
0: One thing I should have noted is that um, apparently she made this statement with the Washington Post's approval this is a confusing part of the legal complaint that I just haven't had the time to fully untangle. Obviously, if they said you can say this and they pre-approved it and then they suspended her, that would be a very big deal. One question. And I apologize for not having this at hand, but it's, I wonder if the stands in solidarity part was approved. Cause if it was just a generic statement of like, I, I think this is a just result for something that happened to me, I guess that's different from standing in solidarity with, um, with another victim. But, um, that that's something people can easily check whether, yeah, but that that's important. Cause that would, that would, make it, I think, an unjust suspension if they gave her prior um, permission to tweet that. Uh, Yeah, that makes sense. Um, So about a year after that, that's when Emily Yaffe's article comes out. Somnes says she's harassed and threatened pretty scarily as a result. So she makes public statements defending herself, um, you know, because there's this wave of online outrage following Yaffe's claims. And not long thereafter, the Post again suspends her from Me Too coverage uh, for a time period and then, in January of 2020, after Kobe Bryant dies in a helicopter crash, she posts...
1: Wait, what is her background in? Like, why is she... She's a national politics reporter. Yeah. So, I mean, in the Kavanaugh case, I guess it makes sense. But do we know what she normally writes about? I've only ever heard of her because of the drama surrounding her. And I've never heard
0: of her because of her, her actual work. Yeah, I mean, she writes about... She was, among other stuff, she was covering Me Too cases. Okay. Okay, so... um In January of 2020, Kobe Bryant dies in a helicopter crash. At this point, Somnes posts a link to a 2016 story about the rape accusations against him. There's more threats and harassment because people are just mad she would do that when he just died unexpectedly.
1: And she said, what did she specifically say?
0: So she literally just posted a link to it with the headline. This is from the Daily Beast. Kobe Bryant's disturbing rape case, the DNA evidence, the accuser's story, and the half confession. She quickly gets an email from Marty Baron, editor-in-chief, um... Saying she displayed poor judgment, and she's quickly suspended uh, with pay. And what happens is... And she tweeted
1: this within hours after he died in a helicopter crash with his daughter. Yeah. Right? Yeah.
0: Hours. Um, There's more threats and harassment against her, she says, and she accuses the Washington Post of not taking her security concerns into account in addition to suspending her. um, They... There's a huge outcry from a lot of journalists, and there's a letter uh, sent by the News Guild with a bunch of Washington Post staffers uh, having signed it, including Dave Weigel. And as a result of all this like public pressure, after two days, the Post lifts the suspension and tweets that she didn't violate policy by tweeting about Bryant. And I, this is the one where I actually think she's indisputably in the right. I, I don't I, – it was probably bad timing, but uh, – I don't know, journalists can't tweet links to news stories? Is that a consistent standard?
1: It makes her seem heartless and uncaring, but she shouldn't have been penalized for that. I mean, I think it's a really really shitty thing to do after the man has died in a car in a helicopter crash with his daughter, but she shouldn't have been punished for it
0: at all. Yeah. So, because of all these like repeated um susp- well, the suspension and a couple times them pulling her off the Me Too beat. She she does this big lawsuit, uh, infliction of emotional distress, discrimination on the basis of her being a woman and being a alleged sex assault victim. And um,
1: does she say alleged or are you saying alleged?
0: I'm saying alleged. The, the 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 way this works is that the court is supposed to, for sort of like its first assessment of whether the claims are credible, assume everything she's saying is true. Um, so it was the uh, infliction of emotional distress discrimination on the the basis of those protected characteristics, and uh, there was a claim of retaliation. The court knocks down her claim pretty aggressively. It's dismissed with prejudice, and they...
1: What does that mean, dismissed with prejudice?
0: It basically just means you you can't... um, make the same claim in court. It doesn't mean you can't appeal it, and she did appeal it, and I think that's still underway. But um, it, it means that the court really disagrees with, <laughs> with what you said and doesn't think that there's much of a case there. And the judge basically argued that she didn't make credible claims of discrimination, um, and and he agreed with the post point that this is partly a First Amendment issue. A newspaper needs to have the right to make its determinations about was it what does and doesn't constitute the appearance of bias. That's a subjective decision, and you can disagree with it, but but that doesn't mean court should be able to say no. Like, there's, no it, it, there's no chance she's going to be seen as biased. You can't make that personnel decision. Um, the Post also argued very successfully in terms of the court agreeing with this that it made its personnel decisions not on the basis of her being uh, – An alleged sexual assault survivor, which they knew when they hired her and put her on the Me Too beat, but because of the stuff she chose to tweet publicly, because of her public statements.
1: Right, right. I mean, if you're going to ban every woman who's experienced sexual assault from reporting on sexual assault, there's not going to be very many women to choose from.
0: No, unfortunately not. Um, Okay, all this, that lengthy background and a lot of drama and claims and counterclaims brings us to last week. Dave Weigel retweets a joke about how all women are either bisexual or bipolar. Katie, my, interpre- Objectively true. my interpretation of this joke is that I can understand why you'd laugh at it because it's like shock value, but what what is the joke? I'm asking you to explain the joke to me in real time. It's just not a good joke. Yeah. Anyway, Felicia Somnez publicly tweets a screenshot of Weigel's retweet and says, fantastic to work at a news outlet where retweets like this are allowed. Um, which I think is very shitty. He, he supported her when she was wrongly suspended over her tweeting behavior. She also brought this up in the company Slack. Uh, she just, she, it would have been the easiest thing in the world for her to approach him privately and say, come on, this is a shitty tweet. You should take it down. And in fact, when Weigel saw people were offended by it or was told by. Yeah,
1: but Jesse, you don't get points for that. That's
0: true. There's no, there's no clout building uh, potential. Uh, Weigel, in fact, took the tweet down and apologized, and has not said a word about this publicly since. He should
1: apologize because it's a bad joke. Do you think it's possible that Dave didn't actually know it was a joke, and he's never met a woman, and so he actually <laughs> thought that this was true? I think that's possible. Do you think? Do you also think it's possible that she was so offended about this because she is actually bisexual and bipolar?
0: We're not. We're not going there. <laughs> Weigel. Immediately takes the tweet down and he apologizes, but it's too late. He, he, a little bit after that, he's suspended for a month without pay because he retweeted a shitty joke that you could honestly see on basic cable any night of the week. That's my take, at least. Or do you think there's an argument here that like it just it showed such poor judgment? It's OK to suspend him without pay for a month. Or do you think that's over the top?
1: No, uh no, no, it's not okay at all. He did he made a mistake and he apologized for it. he He took the appropriate action after he made a mistake. no, this was this should have lasted for five minutes. He should have somebody should have approached him directly. his bosses maybe she could have gone to gone to his boss or gone to h r or gone to him directly and instead she
0: or the police or the police or the
1: police yes, she could have gone to the Stasi instead, she decided to make it about her to make it public. no. He should not have been suspended for this. She shouldn't have been suspended for her bad tweet. He shouldn't have been suspended for his bad tweet. And by that, I mean she shouldn't have been suspended for her bad tweet about Kobe Bryant. Yeah. Not everything that would happen subsequently.
0: Oh, In terms of what happened subsequently, I'm just going to borrow from Political here because they sum it up nicely – Somnus was highly critical of Weigel for the tweet, prompting Washington Post executive editor Sally Busby, great name by the way, I don't know why, I just like Busby, to put out a memo encouraging staff members to treat one another with respect and kindness, including on social media platforms, and reminding staff that criticizing fellow employees was a violation of company policies. Quote, we do not tolerate colleagues attacking colleagues either face-to-face or online, end quote, the paper's top editor said in a memo on Tuesday, but the infighting continued from there. Another Post reporter, Jose A. Del Real, Accused Somnez of trying to publicly bully Weigel over a mistake for which he had apologized. Somnez responded in kind: quote, when women stand up for themselves, some people respond with even more vitriol, end quote. Somnez continued to rail against the paper's leadership from there with lengthy threads, arguing that it had done little to create an inclusive culture or protect reporters from internal and external harassment. Now, a couple things. One is the real like, him jumping in was kind of amazing because this really showed just, like, the victimization contest. Like, he's—I I, I think someone—I I don't know. I know they're not supposed to tweet angrily at one another, but, like, I was glad to see a Post reporter being like, this is bullshit, an accuser of cloud chasing, because it was. But he was also mentioned being Mexican-American. And, like, therefore he knows what it's like to be marginalized, but this has nothing to do with his race. It's just, like, you have to bring right. that up. I also think that anyone listening to this who wasn't online this week are missing, like— Just how much Somnes tweeted about this, like over and over and over, endlessly criticizing her colleagues, endlessly screen capping the many mean tweets people send to her. She basically did exactly what you would do if your goal was to keep an embarrassing story about your workplace in the national headlines, just endlessly stoking the flames. And of course, or get fired, get fired. And of course, people in the media, because we're all navel-gazing vultures, we were totally transfixed by this. And and we were just watching the play-by-play. I was not surprised when I read in the New York Times, quote, This was just yesterday. So today's Friday. This was Thursday. Ms. Somnez was fired over email on Thursday afternoon, according to one of the people interviewed for this. In an email termination letter, which was viewed by the New York Times, Ms. Somnez was told that the Post was ending her employment effective immediately, quote, for misconduct that includes insubordination, maligning your coworkers online, and violating the Post's standards on workplace collegiality and inclusivity, end quote. The email from Wayne Connell, the Post's chief human resources officer, also said Ms. Somnez's, quote, public attempts to question the motives of your co-journalist, end quote, undermine the post reputation. Quote, we cannot allow you to continue to work as a journalist representing the Washington Post. End quote. The letter said, "What do you think about her being fired?"
1: I think they did themselves a favor. I was sort of surprised that she was fired because she's going to sue. Uh, and Stephen Elliott tried to tried to bet me on this. He 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 thought that she was going to be fired by the end of the week, and he was he was right about this. Never. Both of us have lost bets to Stephen Elliott (laughs) in recent months. Never bet against Stephen Elliott, but I was surprised because I think this was the right move for the post because she's going to sue. But the cost of the lawsuit—they haven't. Even if she she won't win, but even if she did win, they have insurance. The cost of your premiums going up seem, especially when you're owned by Jeff Bezos, seem pretty minor compared to the benefit of getting a terrorist out of your organization.
0: Well, okay, but you know that someone's going to respond to what you just said by saying, oh, so you're a woman who who makes accusations about misogyny. You're now calling her a terrorist.
1: I mean, I try to be as broad as possible when it comes to free speech. And in general, I don't like employers censoring their employees or tamping down on, on, on employees' rights to speak. But I think there's a really big difference between expressing your political opinion criticizing someone like Kobe Bryant hours, minutes after he's died, even something like that, retweeting a stupid joke and attacking your colleagues. And that's what she was doing. She was attacking her colleagues by name. And there's no workplace in the world, for the most part, where you can publicly attack your colleagues by name and not expect to lose your job. You just can't do
0: that. I think you're getting at a distinction that people often lose sight of, which is firing someone for expressing their political beliefs versus firing someone who is wrecking your organization by just like airing this stuff and dragging it across Twitter. And there's a level of like crazy entitlement among a lot of journalists who think that really they should be allowed to tweet whatever they want at any time, which is not a standard that like basically any person with a staff job in any industry in the country, even a lot of part time employees don't have that that right to harshly criticize other people in your organization whenever you want, for any reason. It's just, it's not- It destroys your workplace. It absolutely makes the Washington Post look like a- Clown car of a dysfunctional organization, and I, it makes the Washington Post looks has looked
1: more dramatic than a fucking high school drama club this week. It has made them look so bad, and we got an email from somebody within the Post who said, "Actually, this is a pretty collegial place to work," which ju- which shows you how bad it is. If the impression that everybody on the outside is getting is that this is a, ter- a terrible place to work where everybody hates each other because of this one person,
0: we got yeah I, either between us and me, two different emails from Post staffers who are just like. People are tired of her shit, which is something that was reported independently. Um,
1: Yeah, there was some good reporting on this in Vanity Fair. Here's a quote from an anonymous Washington Post staffer. Working at a huge news organization, The Post, The New York Times, CNN, is like living in a big city where there are always emergencies. As a colleague, you should probably be trying to help fund the fire department or city services and make it a better place to live. At worst, you are not paying your your taxes, they continued. And then you have Felicia, who is essentially pouring gasoline on every fire and inviting people to watch.
0: Yeah, there's another example I will link to where someone that her superiors just sent out like a very basic note about it being the anniversary of George Floyd. And between that and the Uvalde shootings, just like everyone should like take care of themselves. And she replies all to like the whole, I think the whole newsroom being like just a reminder that I was punished for needing to take a walk after I read something upsetting or or something very close to that effect. I'm just like,
1: yeah, from like 2018,
0: just like constantly relitigating old stuff and inserting yourself and just drawing attention to you about how aggrieved you are. And I can't say for sure what she went through in China and what it was like to be harassed online, but this is absolutely a personality type, like someone who who has trouble letting go of things and who, like, breathes life into gre- – I have some of this myself, so I can recognize it, but it's, like, not necessarily who you want to work with and definitely not someone you want to give, like, totally free reign on Twitter.
1: Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, I can see, like – she was like a pit bull with this on Twitter all week. She would not drop it. And remember, this started because of a dumb retweet that was up for, what, probably less than an hour. And it makes me wonder if she was actually trying to get fired from the Washington Post. I,
0: this is very inappropriate, but someone texted to me that it was like, or in a group text, I was in suicide by cop, basically.
1: <laughs> <laughs> suicide by HR.
0: I, the thing is given how big institutions work as soon as legal stuff gets involved, and given there's like still pending litigation, there is no chance that they don't have their ducks in a row, meaning the Washington Post, that they didn't send warning after warning after warning. I bet I would be shocked if it were not the case that they have three or four warnings on file, because they're not going to risk more legal stuff from someone who's already sued them. That's why I don't think the threat of like a lawsuit is credible for them. And I will say- There is this tendency when someone gets fired to be like, well, I bet she had it coming. I bet she did something wrong. I hate that. I hate that in cases where it's like we have very little information and we don't know what happened. But in this case, she was tweeting so much and in such clear violation of the rules that it just seems very unlikely to me they don't have their ducks in a row. It's almost
1: a little, what's the word,
0: bipolar? No, I'm not worried. Katie? (laughs) You can't say this shit like this on stage at the Heterodox Academy, okay? Yes, I can.
1: Uh, can I read you the best tweet that was written after she was fired?
0: Oh, oh, god. Let's. Uh.
1: All right, this is somebody named Carlos. He tweeted, "Every girl is bi. You just have to figure out if it's sexual or Felicia."
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> the layers, Jesse. There's the a layers. Lot of
0: layers there. Um, I I think that. Twitter is so horrible to the lives and careers of some people. I, this does not necessarily make me trust her more in terms of the Kyman thing, although I guess that's separate. I, I, I don't know, man. This whole thing was so crazy. And I think a lot of people at the Washington Post newsroom will be glad she's gone, but I, there's an element of just like, just stop tweeting. All you have to do is stop tweeting. I, wait, were you ever asked at the stranger to stop tweeting about a particular thing or to tone it down?
1: Um, I got, there was, w- I was, there was one time when a freelancer tweeted, and it's not Ijeoma Luo. People always think it's Ijeoma. It wasn't her. It was a a freelancer. I don't even remember this person's name. She did like food stuff. And she tweeted that she had quit working for the paper because of me. And I like said, no, you quit working for the paper because you were fired because your writing was terrible. And nobody liked working with you, which was true. And uh, I was told my publisher came in was immediately like, you have to delete this. This is an HR issue.
0: I think it's fucked up. They wouldn't back you up if she is openly lying about the circumstances of her departure. They should have at least said it is false that this is these are the cir- we can't say more, but this is false. These are the circumstances under which she left. so. I, nice. In other words, I, I like blaming you for stuff, but in this case, I understand why you did it. I, and a couple times, a couple times at New York Magazine, I was like too annoying on Twitter, and my bosses were like, "Tone it down." The idea that I would ever, <laughs> as a staffer at New York Magazine, who felt very lucky to be there, that I would be like no, fuck you, I'm going to keep tweeting, and then I wouldn't expect bad things to happen to me as a result is just the level of entitlement there is crazy is all I'm saying.
1: Yeah, journalists need to get off of Twitter. I mean, I think that's what it comes down to. Although, then again, that would really ruin this podcast, so please don't. Please keep it up, folks.
0: Should we uh, finish up with some housekeeping? Oh, yeah, let's do that. All right. So uh, the Heterodox Academy, by the time you hear this, some of you will have already done this event. But in case you are already going, because it is sold out, Heterodox Academy is um, Sunday, June 12th through Tuesday, June 14th. We hope to see some of you there. We're doing an event live podcast recording. Sunday the 12th. Uh, it's going to be awesome, I think. I did have a panic dream about it, but we're not going to talk about that. Um, By the time people hear this, it's going to be over. Well, some of them. Not our primos. Speaking of which, if you want to become a primo and get early access to the weekly episodes, blockchainreported.org. You also get three extra episodes a month. Uh, we've got some good stuff coming up on that front. Blockedandreported.reddit.com for the subreddit. Uh, that's where that horrible accusation about Elden Ring stats was leveled at me. That That's a potentially career-ruining thing. Can't let that get out. Uh, anything else, Katie? Uh,
1: rate, a, rate and review us on iTunes, please. Uh, give us- it's Not iTunes. Whatever. Keep saying iTunes. Please Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars. And if you want to reach out to us, email us at blocked at gmail at gmail.com.
0: This has been Blocked and Reported. As always, we are produced with a lot of great help from Tracing Woodgrains, particularly helpful this week in um, refreshing my memory on all the twists and turns of the Felicia Somnus story. Thank you, Trace. I'm Jesse Single, and remember- if you tweet over and over and over and over and over and over and over after your boss has told you not to, you will probably get in trouble.
1: And I'm Katie Herzog, and also remember, the only place where you can denigrate your colleagues on Twitter and not expect to get fired is Congress and this podcast.